Dear God, again, uh, we just come to you in prayer. God, I pray right now that you would just use the words that you've laid upon my heart. May they be your words and not my words. God, I pray that uh, it is only through the brokenness of, of my own faith, God, that I'm even able to speak. And so, Lord, I pray that the words that you have today are inspirational, convicting, uh, Lord, challenging, encouraging. Lord, all those, all those things that I know that the, your spirit does. And may God, may they not be guilting or condemning or shaming in any way, shape, or form. And God, I pray that your truth is just sealed up in our hearts here today. And we give you all the glory and all the honor here this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're closing out our Broken Men of Faith series, and I'm super excited to be a part of the series. It's been, uh, I don't know if you've been here the last few weeks, that, the last couple of weeks that Matt's been sharing, but it's been phenomenal, and I hope that uh, you've been encouraged and challenged as much as I have been through the series as well. Uh, so if you weren't here, you're going to have to go back and listen to it, because these messages kind of stand alone on their own. Um, I'm not going to go back through and recap it. There's a couple statements that he made in each of the sermons that kind of really I am going to repeat, just so that you guys remember what we're talking about. Um, but there, there is so much information that he shared, I just really encourage you guys to go back and, uh, and listen to it. But when he was talking about in the first sermon series, if you remember, he t- the sermon was titled, What's in Your Hand? Um, and today's Jacob's Identity Crisis. We're going to be talking about Jacob today. But the first sermon was about Gideon and what's already in your hand. And there's a passage that he read in the book of Judges uh, that I want us to read because it really kind of sets us up for what Jacob had to go through. And so all throughout the scriptures, um, we see a repeated pattern of behavior. And I just, I want you to see this repeat. Like we could, we could press pause, repeat, pause, repeat, and we'd hear about the brokenness of man all through the scriptures. So let's go to Judges and see what it was that God told Gideon uh, when he was confronting him. So when the angel of the Lord appeared, and whenever you see capital lords, we believe that that was a Christophany that was actually Christ appearing to man at that point in time in the Old Testament with with capital Lord, appeared to Gideon. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, that would be encouraging when you're standing before the angel of God, God himself, Christ incarnate before he comes as man. He's standing there talking to Gideon. Then we jump to verse 15, uh, and then he goes on and tells Gideon what I want you to do and and gives him some instructions. And then this is Gideon, all right? This is us. that's all real good, God. That, that, I love that. Pardon me, Lord, um, Gideon replied. But how can, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I don't know if you noticed, God, but I'm kind of the least big deal in my family. Like, eh, not really the right guy for this job. So that's where we start this out. Like, this whole idea that Gideon was confronting God with the reality of what God already knew. Right? But Gideon was confronting God with how Gideon saw himself. And God was confronting Gideon with what God knew he was capable of doing. And that is, that is the essence of, of our humanity. God was calling Gideon a mighty hero. He, he called out what lied dormant within Gideon. Mighty hero. I know what I have already given you. I know what is already in your hand and there it is. And so today I want to start there because it's all about what is your new name? Today is like, it's all about what is your new name? What is, what is God calling out of you today? It's not about what was in Gideon, but what's God calling in you? What does he already see totally evident in you? And are you responding back to God like Gideon, um, or like did, Gideon did to God? Pardon me, Lord. Um, 
I don't think you really understand who you're working with. But that's what we do. That's really what we do. And as we see in, God, in Gideon's story, God calls us one thing, and we like to remind God of another. So then last week, all right, so that, that was kind of how this all starts, and this idea of the brokenness of man, all right? And if you aren't aware, if you've never done that, praise be to God, if you've never reminded God of how faulty you are. But last week, Matt went on, and he shared about how the, the man who wanted his faith strengthened, he, he had come with his uh, child, and, and he, the disciples couldn't do what he was asking him to do, and so then he asked Jesus, and then he says, if you really can, and, and God's like, what? Like, what do you mean if I really can? And he's like, just help me, help strengthen my faith. And so in that, if you weren't here, you got to go back and listen to it. But one of the statements that, uh, that we've said multiple times throughout the, this, through our church is our beliefs inform our behavior. And you can see this about Gideon, and you're going to see this about Jacob, and you see this about the man at the, as he is talking to Jesus, trying to ask for help. What you believe about yourself, what you believe about your identity, what you believe about your faults, what you believe about your failures is going to inform your behavior. And if we don't change the way that we see ourselves into the image of Christ, if we don't begin to see how God sees us, we're going to talk back to God like Gideon did. But it's not just how Gideon did it. We, we see Jacob doing the exact same thing. So as, as we prepared for this sermon series, we did it with great intentionality based upon the fact that we're living in a very broken world right now. But the reality is it's always been kind of a really broken world. The whole Old Testament, the whole Bible is filled full of stories of the brokenness of mankind. Now, I don't know if you were here in the first sermon, but Matt shared some amazing statistics about society, um, and, and I encourage you to go back and listen to them. But there's some, and he shared a lot of statistics about men and church, but there's a lot of studies done right now on the feminization of society. Now, I don't, I'm not going to talk about the feminization of society, but you can go do your own research. But just know that when you do your own research, it really... The, the information you're going to receive is based upon the biases of those researchers who are doing the research. And so they do the research, and then a lot of times, most of the time, they'll always give their understanding of why the research says what it does, right? So just understand what angle they're coming from when they do that. And so when you start reading about the feminization of society, what you will find almost in all of the studies, I couldn't find any that argued with me on this, is that strong masculinity is almost, well, it's not almost gone. It's not the norm in any of Western society, okay? It's, it's not the norm. Now, depending on who you're reading, some of them praise that because finally we eradicated masculinity from the face of this earth. Some of them praise it because, oh, those that are still having are standing strong, praise be to God. And then you have the other ones that are, oh, it's, it's just dying and the world is going to go to hell in a handbasket and the world's collapsing because fathers are absent. I don't know if they read the Old Testament. That's been the case for a long time. So the, it depends on who you're reading. Like this whole idea of the feminization of society is regardless of, of masculinity. What really is happening, and, and, and I shouldn't say regardless, because there are, there are predicaments that we find ourselves in because men are not stepping up to the plate that God has called them to biblically. But it's not just a problem of masculinity. It's not a problem of feminization. It's not, it's not a problem of the Industrial Revolution or the Age of Enlightenment. It's really a problem of mankind. All right, so the deep-rooted problem that I want us to understand is this, that 
it's our problem of mankind and how we view God. You see, we view God as God's plan is flawed. We, we view God that he doesn't really know what he's doing, because if he did, he wouldn't have created the world like he did. And we certainly don't view God as being supreme. And you see, this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The, the problem with mankind is that we are broken from the time we are born. And then we begin to blame God for that brokenness. We say, we start blaming him for the faults that we find ourselves in. I don't know about you, but if you ever get blamed for something you didn't do, there's a propensity within me to defend myself. <laughs> that was not my fault, all right? It's natural, and maybe some of you guys are better than me and you just take it, I don't know, but I don't really like being blamed for stuff that's not my responsibility or not my fault. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that? Mankind has been blaming God for everything for a really, really long time. And he was really clear in Genesis how he created the world perfect. He was also really clear in Genesis that it was man's fault that it became imperfect. And yet we still blame him for all the garbage that goes on. And he created us to be in perfection. And yet because of our choices, because we buy into this lie, go back to that screen, because we think that his plan is flawed, because we think he really didn't know what he's doing and we really don't believe he's really all that supreme because there could be some other ways that there are to get to heaven. And, and God just didn't really mean that like because he's, he's really not gonna condemn people that, that don't believe that Jesus Christ is the only way because that's not really what God meant when he wrote the word of God, Right? because he wouldn't do that, because that wouldn't fit our narrative of a politically correct world, because his plan would be flawed if that's really what he was gonna do. You see, this brokenness, this, this strong, this idea that masculinity is a mess, it's really the fact that mankind is a mess. It really is, and so that's where we're gonna kind of see this, this idea with Jacob, is that the system that God created isn't broken. All right, he, mankind is broken. And it's not because God is broken, it's, and certainly not because God is insufficient, it's because mankind starts with brokenness. And that's really where we're at as a church. We want you to understand that when we start talking about God, we have to understand our position on this earth when we come to God. You see, God gave us a choice. When we're born, when we come into this world, he gives you a lifetime of choices. And some of those choices are gonna be fantastic, and some of those choices are gonna reflect the choices of those that we see in the scriptures, full of brokenness and depravity and deceit. We were created to be perfect, but he gave us two choices. Follow him in all of his word, or follow your own way. And that's really what the tree of good and evil was all about. You do it your way, or do it God's way. We only had one thing, and that has continued to be the case for the church, for anybody that wants to follow him. You can either follow my word, or you can try and do this world and this life on your own. But it's really up to you. And we continue to blame God for all the problems in this world when it's just us that are choosing to believe that we can do this somehow differently than how God gave it to us to do. All right, and so I don't know about you guys, but uh, this year has given me a lot of opportunity to make fun of society, and I often, I often uh, joke about how we live in a cancel culture, um, and pretty much, it doesn't matter, like, you can get canceled for just about anything nowadays, but it, it really hasn't changed over the course of, the, of time. I don't know if you've ever really noticed this, 
But the only thing that's different now is we have Snapchat, 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 Twitter, and Facebook, and Instagram. We just let the world know that we've canceled you a lot faster. All right? Well, it used to take Johann Gutenberg in the printing press, all right? So it was a lot harder. We had to set up the stone. And before that, it was a stone and chisel. Eh, wasn't as quick out there. We've been canceling everybody for a really long time. And we've been canceling God since the beginning of time. The minute that God does something we don't like, then it's his fault. That's the brokenness of mankind. And so the, it's fascinating to me as we, as we li listen to people pontificate upon social media about how, how their pretenses and their arguments about God are so much more eloquent and supreme than anybody else that has ever come before them. It just helps us identify just how arrogant and pompous we as humans really are. It really does. So it just reveals how broken of a society we really are in the world that we're living in. And, and so I, I just need to paint this picture. So and, and there's good news, trust me, there's really good news coming, all right? So I just, we just have to understand just how broken this picture of humanity really is and how good the good news is. I think Matt said it was either in the office or uh, in one of our sermons, the good news isn't that good anymore and evil isn't that evil anymore. And that's really the problem. Evil is still really evil in the eyes of God, and the good news is still really, really, really good news in the eyes of God. We just have watered it down so much on both sides that it doesn't really make all that much difference in our lives. So that's what I want to do when we pick up this idea with Jacob, is to understand that he was born into a broken world, all right? And when we study Jacob, I think you're going to begin to see our pattern of behavior very evident in his life as well. And so if you don't know the, the story of Jacob, I want to give you a little bit of a backstory before we get into it too far. But his, his, the name Jacob uh, was, was given to him by his parents. If you don't know who his parents are, they're Isaac and Rebekah, all right? And if you don't know who's, who Isaac's parents were, is Abraham and Sarah, all right? So he came from a pretty good stock of those who trusted in God, all right? He really did. Like, Father Abraham was really just Grandpa Abraham, and his dad Isaac was the same teenager at age roughly around 13 that wandered up to the mountaintop with his dad, willing to be the sacrifice on the altar. So he came from some pretty good men of faith that really understood what it meant to trust God. Even his own parents knew, his mom, Jacob's mom, knew that God was a part of even Jacob's life. And so, so just understand the heritage that he was coming into this world with as we begin to see his life unfold before us. Even though Jacob had a pretty good role model, the one thing that we do see Isaac doing is he showed a lot of favoritism towards his kids, all right? So Jacob had a brother. His name was Esau, if you don't remember the story. Jacob and Esau were paternal twins, and if you don't know why, it's because they looked a lot different, all right? Came out looking different. And while they were in the womb, uh, Rebecca received a promise about what was gonna happen to their two boys. And so uh, when Jacob and Esau were born, Isaac loved Esau. Jake, Rebecca loved Jacob, right? And so this continued to go on for years, and this favoritism continued their entire lives. And I mean entire lives, all right? And I think that maybe some of you, some of you will know what I'm going to share here in a second, and others are going to be like, oh man, I never even put that together, all right? But uh, Jacob constantly struggled to win the heart of his father, and as Rebecca's looking at this whole situation, she's like, man, God, I don't really think this is going to work out so well. 
I think I'm going to have to take things into my own hands. And so that's what they began to do. Jacob was a deceiver. His mom was a deceiver. They were complicit on many occasions of deceit and duplicity. It just really was the way it was. You see, and it all stemmed from good motives. Like they, I really believe Rebecca thought she was doing God a favor. Like he, she was just expediting his plan on the process, right? Because she received a promise. Let's go to the book of Genesis to see why she thought she needed to help God out a little bit, all right? Genesis chapter 25 starts like this. It says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless, all right? So Isaac knew what it was like. He was Abraham's kid, right? Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. So Isaac knew, oh, I just got to pray to God. Okay, that's what he did, and she got pregnant. All right, the Lord answered his prayer, and his, his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening? Oh, she knew where to go, so she went to inquire of the Lord. All right, keep going. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, two nations, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. You see, that was, that was the promise right there. And that was totally inappropriate for the world in which they were going to live in. The older would never serve the younger, even as twins. First one out gets the blessings, all right? It's just the way it worked, all right? I'm glad you think I'm funny. No one else is laughing at me this morning. I'm laying down some really funny stuff, people, and you're making me sad. I'm just joking. I'll keep going, but I'm glad Matt gets my jokes. He should, because he's in the office with me a lot. So, all right. So, I am being facetious on a lot of these, so you can laugh if you think it's funny. And if it's not, then that's okay, because some of my jokes aren't. So anyways, the boys grew up. They fought like cats and dogs, and they just didn't get along. And eventually, Esau sells his birthright to his brother, right? And then Jacob starts stealing, or Jacob steals Esau's a blessing as well, not just his birthright, but his blessing. So you got to go back and figure out what that means. But you want to know how old all of this, how old Jacob was when all this happened? I know you're waiting on the edge of your seat for this. He's about 70 years old when all this happened. 70 years old. Yeah. Still at home with mom, never married, 70 years old. God bless America. No wonder she wanted him out of the house. She's like, God, this is not working out the way you said it's going. This boy ain't even married yet. I got to speed this process up. So she deceives her own husband. He's blind by now. He can't see anything anyway. So she furries him all up and stuff and gets him in there and he gets the blessing. And then guess what Jacob does at age 70? He runs for his life because Esau's coming. Esau's 70 years old, married, has his own family, own nation by now, and he's coming after his brother. You stole my birthright, now you're going to steal my blessing? And Jacob runs. He flees back to Laban, and that's kind of where this is at. But we're going to pick up the story from there. But I want you to understand this problem with masculinity is this. It's the struggle of humanity. It's not just our masculinity, it's a struggle of humanity. And the problem is we want to win the approval of others. What was Jacob really wanting? He was wanting the blessing of his father. And that's really what we all want. So many of us are so desperate for affection. We are so desperate for approval of mankind. And, and, and if you look at some of the decisions that you've made along the way of life, just ask yourself, was I trying to win the approval of someone when I made that decision? And there's a lot of decisions we make. There's a lot of compromises to our morality that we make in a, in a desperate attempt to receive the approval of others, especially our parents. 
And that's really what we see in Jacob's life is he just wanted the approval of his father and Esau always got it. And he's lived at home for 70 years of his life. And we pick up that story where he's running for his life and we jump ahead about three more chapters, chapter 28, so he's on his, he's on his way, all right? Esau's coming. He has no wife yet. He's on his way. And let's go to Genesis chapter 8. So as he's running from Esau, going into a new land, starting out on his own, creating a new life, a new identity, finding his new name, this is what happens. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to the heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. The stairway to heaven, if you've seen those paintings, it comes from here. And there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord. Again, capital letters the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, reminding him of the heritage and the promises that he's going to receive. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Again, a repeat of the promise that he gave to Abraham. Keep going. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and the east and to the north and to the south and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Exact same blessing that he gave to Abraham. Jacob would have known all about this, all right? Keep going. I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. Again, promise after promise after promise. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. This is a promise that God is giving to Jacob. You would think this would be so amazing. Like, I had a dream where God was coming down. All right, keep going. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in you, think. Surely the Lord is in this place, right? And I wasn't aware of it. He was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place. There is, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He went on to make some promises to God and a bunch of ifs and thens. If you do this, God, then I'll do that. Um, And you would think this is where Jacob's life really began to change. And you would really think this is where he really began to step into who he was going to become, right? So as we continue the story, he continued to live a life of duplicity. He continued to live a life of deceit and deceiving and being deceived. If you don't know that story, start with Laban. Watch how he marries the wrong person. He goes, wakes up the next morning and is like, man, you're not the woman I thought I was marrying. It doesn't make sense in our heads, right? All right. So he gets two wives and he gets two Uh, concubines from it, and then he goes on, he has 12 kids, right? And then the rest of Israel is there. But in his life, he just makes one mistake after another. He just makes one choice after another that goes directly against what God has asked him to do. You see, Jacob was a master at living his own life. He was a master at making his own plans. He was a master at making sure that his plans achieved the end that he wanted, He was always taking the control back out of God's hands, even after he had a dream of the stairway to heaven, right? Like how much more does God need to give him? So then you read about Jacob and he's hanging out with Laban and he has his family and he builds a kingdom there under his father-in-law's rule, lives there about 27 years, has has, uh, 11 kids, all right? And that's where we pick up the story next. Now he's, he's about 97 years old at this point in time, okay? And he starts running for his life again. Why? Because now he's running from Laban. Now it wasn't so much a run for his life, but he really needed to get out of there. 
And then Laban comes looking for his idol trinkets and stuff like that, and Rachel had stolen it. So we, we even see in the whole time that he's out there with his new family, he's not leading them to God. He's not leading them down the path of worshiping the one true God. So then he's like, man, I got to get away from Laban. So he starts running again. He's going back to where he came from on his way back. Now he hears Esau's coming after him. He's like, good grief, can I catch a break? Like, just put yourself in this situation. He's 97 years old. How much more do I got to do? Like, how many more, how many more battles do I got to do? So he devises another plan. He takes it out of God's hands. He devises another plan to appease his brother. And then he sends his wife and kids, and it says he sends his 11, ki his, his 11 kids over the river. That means Benjamin's not born yet. So that's how we do some of the math on all this, all right? Based on other passages of Scripture. And then he goes and he does the... He, he sends them across, and then he goes to sleep again, all right? And that's where we pick up this next story. 27 years later, about another five chapters go on, chapter 32. That night, Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Well, who is this man? Good question. Keep watching. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he was touched. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now, just remember that word "overpower." Okay. Then the man said, "Let me go for this, for it is daybreak." But Jacob replied, "I will not let you go unless you bless me. Unless you bless me." Keep going. Then the man asked him, "What is your name?" Ah. Finally, to the point, 97 years old, what is Jacob's answer going to be? Who is he? Has he figured out his purpose on life yet, in life yet? And he answers, it's Jacob, he answered. Keep going. Then the man said, ah, your name is no longer going to be Jacob. Now it's going to become Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. You have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, please, please tell me your name. Right? He's like, okay, but he knew his name. He, he already knew what, who the angel was and who the man was. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Because back in the Old Testament, it would have been I am the I am. There was you, there was no name for God for them. Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. He knew that God could, that when, you, when you read this story, don't, don't think that Jacob actually wrestled God and won. That's not the point of the story. Think more like cool hand Luke in the prison yard. He didn't give up. You see, I got to imagine when he's wrestling with the man, he knew who he was wrestling and he wasn't going to let go. He had learned a life of persistence and now finally that persistence paid off. He knew he had lived a life of mistakes and he's like, God, I'm not going to let go. I, I, you can't leave me this time until you bless me. I, I am not going to let go of you this time. And when God realized now, now you have struggled with your humanity enough and you've struggled with God enough. 
to know who you are. I am going to change your name and I am going to bless you. Jacob, 97 years old, finally understands what he was put upon the face of this earth for. He understood by that point in time the importance of the blessing of a father. He understood why he received the blessing from his father and now he's going to his heavenly father. He, he struggled with mankind and with God and he overcame the struggles. You see, that's where we pick up the story in our own humanity because we're all in this room in some type of a struggle. You see, the book of Hebrews, when we go to the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, and I could go on and on about the Old Testament. There's so much to unpack about Jacob's life. It could go on and on about the brokenness of man. But this is where his life really began to change. At this moment, and from that point forward, you see a massive change in the way that he lived and the way that his family lived. But at the book of Hebrews, it says that all these things happened in the Old Testament, these stories of like Jacob and the other founding fathers fathers of our faith, as an example for us so that we can learn from them, so that we can emulate the right type of behavior. And I'm not saying that you need to wait 97 years to figure out who you are, because today some of you are struggling with different things, struggling against God. You want him to do things your way. You're still fighting God and man. You're fighting against yourself. You don't like who it is that he even made you to be. You're claiming that you believe in God, you claim that you have a faith in God, but you live according to how you think he should have written a word. You live according to the way you think he should be doing things. You live according to the way that you think the world, you believe the way the world says things should be happening. And we create this, we create this idea of God and it's just this constant struggle, a wrestling. And we all face it, folks. Don't don't miss that point. Like there's, there is no way that we can't wrestle against God. Now, some of us wrestle more. I will give you that. Depending upon your personality, depends on how much you fight against God. Depends on when you came to Christ. Depends upon your stages of life. But we've all had some sort of struggle somewhere along the line in our faith if our faith is really our own. If our faith is genuinely ours, then we've struggled against God and we've struggled against humanity, the sinful nature that lurks within us. Life isn't the way that you want it to be. Maybe you have your own parent issues. Maybe you haven't received the blessing of your father. Maybe you struggle with uh, your own addictions. Maybe you struggle with alcoholism. Maybe you're, you're, maybe you're, you're an adulterer. Maybe you're, uh, I don't know what you are. I don't know your story. But I know we struggle and we fight and we resist. And the only way that Jacob acquiesced is God touched his hip. He crippled him, so to speak. And I don't want you to have to be crippled to surrender to God. I don't want him to have to take away from you the very thing that he's blessed you with in order for you to see his blessings. It's painful that way. When we have to, when we have to fight God like that, it's painful when we don't see what it is that we are created to be. You see, Jacob was 97 years old before he got his new name and his purpose all figured out. Most of us aren't gonna make it that long. We can get this right before then. We can learn from these things, right? I wanna go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. All right, so these are some of the things that we struggle with as society now. 
All right, do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? All right, so Paul was writing the church of Corinth at this time, and the church of Corinth had read a lot of, uh, a lot of the worldly teachings seep into the church, and they were doing a lot of stuff that uh, Paul wasn't real pleased with. He says, don't, guys, hey, 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 don't you know the wrongdoers won't inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. In other words, don't be deceived by the world's lies. He could have been preaching to us today. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters. And if you wonder, well, I'm not an idolater. If you put anything before God, you're an idolater. Nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. Keep going. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunk, nor the slanders. That's anybody who tells a false lie. The swindler, those who make a false deal. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God. Um, yeah, about that, God. Uh, this is Gideon now. It's like, um, okay, now watch. This is beautiful. This is where it all gets good. Look at this. Look at what Paul says. And that, my friends, is what some of you were. That's what you were. That's not what we are. That's not our identity anymore. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. The original Greek right there, this is an active verb. Present tense active verb in the Greek language. You are being washed. You, he is washing you. He is sanctifying you. He is justifying you. It is a part of the process. We can't get off this earth without a struggle against God. But the good news is he's the one doing the work. He is, if it's ever been a painful process in you, then praise be to God, it's because he loves you, all right? That's the good news. The problem, though, is that when we read this, we're just like Jacob, and we run for the hills. It's like, oh, surely this must be a holy place. I'm not fit to be here. I gotta go. And that's what, and, and God's like, no, 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 no. That's not why I said it. That's not what I meant. Jacob went on another 27 years when he lived, when he was I mean, he was faced with God the whole time, his whole entire life. He was raised by Isaac, for crying out loud. But until he really understood his purpose in life, his identity in life, and what he was put on this earth for, God couldn't use him as Israel until Jacob had finished his wrestle match. And that's where I want to ask you guys. Just like Gideon, he was given a new name, Mighty Warrior, Sarah, Sarai, Abram, Peter, Paul, Today, God is in the process of giving you a new name. He's washing you. He's sanctifying you. He's justifying you. He knows the garbage that lines your past. He was there with you. He watched it all. He knows what you're bringing to the table. He knows what you're currently struggling with. He knows what you battle against mankind with, your own inner self with. He knows what you blame him for. And he's still in the process of washing you and sanctifying you and justifying you. And he's giving you a new name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We jump to Revelation chapter 217. You know, when we sing that song, when we see the battle, all he sees is the victory. He already won. We're going to get our butts handed to us a few times. Why? Because we're human and we... we think we're smart and we're really not. And then we do dumb things. And then he sees this victory. And in, and in this process, he's like, you know what, guys, I've got you. I promise I have you and I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you. And then we jump to Revelation, Revelation this way. He says, whoever has ears, and that's all of you guys. I see ears in here. Whoever has them, let them hear what the spirit is saying to you right now. Right now, the spirit of God is speaking to you. 
The one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. Who is the hidden manna? It's Jesus. I will give you what you need. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it. A new name. And who gets that name? Known only by the one who receives it. Jacob got Israel. Gideon got mighty warrior. Peter got, or Simon got Peter. Paul, Saul got Paul. You are receiving a new name. God is not worried about your past. He doesn't want you to live in your past. He doesn't want you to claim some false identity. He doesn't want you to remind him of all the reasons why he shouldn't be using you, why you have erased the ability for him to use you in his kingdom. You see, his grace covers it all. His grace is more than sufficient for any story that you could possibly write about your name. Why? Because he's giving you a new name. And it's his role because he is God and he is supreme and he gets to write the rules. And so it doesn't matter what you think about yourself. What matters about when you think about yourself makes a difference down here on this earth. And that's what I want to see happen in the church is we've got to stop struggling against God. We've got to stop struggling against ourselves, living into the freedom and the, the, the liberty that God has given to us, he unshackles the shame. We sing songs about these things all the time. And then we go out there and we live like Jacob. And God all along the way is like, guys, I, I got this. I can, I've got so much more for you. And if he has to, he will punish us with a limp. Just to remind us of how dependent we are supposed to be upon him. But that's not the way he wants to do it. He gives us his word so we can willingly surrender to all that he has for us. But it's your choice. No one can make you do this for yourself. So when we, when we do this broken men of faith, I challenge you, don't even just think about broken men. Why does God use broken men of faith? Why? Because he doesn't have any other choice. Because all of us in this room are at some point of brokenness in our own story. All of us in this room, there's not a single one of us that's better than the other person. There might be a few that are living with less consequences. That's okay. But there's no one of you that's loved more by God than another. He loves all of us. And he wants to use us in spite of our brokenness. But we have to surrender that brokenness. We can't keep demanding that he just accepts it the way it is. He is the definer of what separates that relationship with him. So the question that we have today is, will we lay that struggle down, that wrestling match, whatever, whatever it is that you're blaming God for, whatever it is that you're telling God is his fault, whatever it is that he's not quite measuring up to the way that you think he should be doing these things, are you going to lay it down? We just say, God, here it is. God, I'm sorry. I know, I know that's not the way I should be. See, God is definitely broken me. I prayed earlier that it's only out of my own brokenness that I can even talk. I know, what the, I know what the brokenness looks like. If you don't know my story, I wrote a book. Go get the book. You can read all about it, all right? It's only out of my own brokenness that I even know that everything that I'm saying up here is true because God is the great redeemer of all things. And he's not the great redeemer of Donnie's story. He's the great redeemer of mankind's story. He's the great redeemer of your story. He just wants you to surrender your story to him. Stop fighting him like Jacob did. Don't wait till you're 97 years old to figure this out. You see, we have to, we have to remain in the promise 
Remain in the promise that Paul gave to the church at Corinth. Whenever you struggle, whenever you're like, ah, Donnie, you just don't even understand. You don't even know the kind of mess I've made out of my life. I don't, I don't have to. God already, God already knows. Remember this passage, this passage that Paul, Paul had the same thing. The, the, the church, we as humans, we haven't changed for thousands of years. Our technology has, that's about it. But our problems are the same. We keep hurting each other over and over again. We keep doubting God over and over again. We keep hurting ourselves over and over again. That's the story of man. It's all through the Bible. But this is what Paul reminded Corinthians of, and this is what I wanna leave you guys with today. God is washing you. Whatever you're going through right now, he is in the process of washing it away. Each and every day you draw breath, every day you get up, God is washing you. He is sanctifying you. He's making you more holy. It says he disciplines those whom he loves. If he is sanctifying you, he loves you with all of his heart and soul and mind. He is doing that every day you draw breath. He is in the process of sanctifying your life. He's justifying you. Justifying just like you never sinned. He is standing before God, the judge, and he is the mediator, and he's wiping out all accusations. Satan is the great accuser. Christ is the great redeemer, all right? He is justifying everything that you've ever done, not because you're good, but because he paid the price. He has that role because he can. He can stand before the almighty judge, God the Father, and justify every single bad story, wrestle match with God that you've ever had, and he justifies it just as if you never did it. Standing before the almighty God, because when God sees you and you follow Jesus, all God sees is the blood of Christ covering you. And that's why he ends, Paul ends this passage in Corinthians He's justifying you by his power and the power of the spirit at work within you. His power on the cross, his shed blood is what covers you. And then the power of the spirit, he left himself to reside within us to be a part of this process. That's the beauty of the brokenness that we get as we walk on this earth because it's filled full of promise. The question is, will you receive it? Only you can know whether or not you will receive the name that God is writing for you as we speak this very moment. What a beautiful power of, what a beautiful testimony of the power of God. What a beautiful promise. What a beautiful promise that you can all, we can all go out those doors knowing that no matter what we walked in through those doors with, we can lay it at the foot of the cross and God can redeem it. Let's pray. Dear God, you are truly an amazing God. And Lord, we all have walked in through those doors with various degrees of brokenness. Various stories, various baggage. Some of us are walking through a great washing right now. Lord, we are so grateful for the fact that it is, it is a process that you are doing. That your loving, grace-filled, merciful hands are doing the work. And God, we just surrender it to you. So God, right now, if there's anyone in this room that has never given their life to you, God, I pray that that first wrestling match is done. That today would be the day that they say, Lord, 
I want to give my life to you. I just want to surrender that to you. In fact, right now, I'm just if there's anybody in this room that's never given your life to Christ, just slip your hand up. I want to pray for you this morning. If you want to make that decision, you're like, you know what? I have never, ever committed my life to Christ, and I'm tired of fighting them. If that's you this morning, just slip your hand up. I'll pray for you real quick. And I won't ask the rest of us who's struggling this morning. God, I pray that you would help each of us to just lay our struggles down at the cross. Forgive us for picking them back up, for clothing ourselves in our humanity yet again and declaring that as our identity versus you as our identity. Lord, may we surrender ourselves to you, putting off the shame and the guilt and the condemnation of our depravity and put on the clothing of the righteousness of your, of your splendor, God, that we would just that we would just surrender ourselves to you and what you've done in our lives. God, forgive us for our struggles. For God, you know there are many. Lord, may we glorify your name in all that we say and do. And all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen.